0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Genomics Lab podcast, the podcast about current research in the field of genomics.
1: We are your hosts, Eleanor Watson and Olivia Grant, two PhD students in the genomics group at the University of Essex.
0: Join us as we speak to researchers in the field about their current research and their journey
1: into genomics. hello everyone and welcome back to a very exciting day for the genomics lab because we finally have our new mugs Yay, that we've been waiting weeks for <laughs> i say we at the moment only me i haven't delivered live hers yet yeah no uh, you've got we them. Love them we love <laughs> them they're great
0: they're so cool we actually haven't tweeted a picture of them yet we should we totally haven't. do that well, well it's on you that's your fault because that is
1: my fault because I'm the one them
0: so you're the one who needs to tweet the picture of them I'm
1: so sorry <laughs> um I will tweet a picture later today
0: they're, they're just classic us though aren't they like they are very us. and reference mean girls
1: <laughs> I'm actually looking at my mug right now oh my god ready to be washed up guys
0: go to our twitter if you want to see what the mugs look like because they are pretty cool they're great and if you didn't listen to the like last episode (laughs) where we basically said that they were mean girls reference and if you don't get the mean girls reference like just stop listening to our podcast now because we just don't we don't like those vibes we don't like we don't like those like
1: mean girls yeah you have to get the reference and if you don't get the reference we're here to teach you about it (laughs) um So, yeah, that's pretty much been the highlight of our week, I would yeah. say. We kind of disappeared for two weeks. So,
0: obviously, we haven't done an episode for two weeks. And we kind of didn't really warn anyone that that was going to happen.
1: Yeah, sorry about but... that. Life kind of took over. It was nice weather. Yeah. It was bank holiday. We had a manuscript to submit, both of us. And yeah. it all got a little bit chaotic.
2: And exactly. have you
1: found? Um, I feel like everyone's slowed down a little bit because there's a lot of marking to be done. Mm-hmm. um a lot of people that are working in the universities have a ton of marking at the minute so i feel like oh yeah people it's like have exam been, season, isn't it yeah people have been putting off kind mm-hmm. of june as a time to take up like extracurricular activities so what you're
0: saying is that no one would have listened to us and no one would have talked to us so basically no one's missed us is what you're saying no
1: one has missed us exactly <laughs> Please. I want to
0: be honest. I'd like to think there is at least one person out there who's missed us. I mean, we're nearly on five thousand downloads, so I would hope.
1: I would hope so. Uh, uh, well, you know what, Liz. One of those. Would there miss are us. two. There are two people that have missed us, and that's Joe and Kate. <laughs> Shout out to our mums. <laughs> guys, are listening every week. <laughs> we do appreciate it. <laughs> I, I'm not
0: going to lie to you, Ellie. I don't know if my mum listens anymore oh. because she doesn't mention it when she comes home anymore. Oh. Um. But she, when we did the um, episode with Maxim, she like I was like, "Mum, you have to listen to this one because it's about DNA methylation. So it's about yeah. what I do. So you have to listen to it." So maybe I'll just say to her every week, although <laughs> I don't look at non-CG methylation, I'll say, "Can you just, you know, Can you listen just to listen this to one, Mum?" And then she'll what just get I hooked do. again because she'll be reminded of how great it is. You how
1: know, how great we are, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and I guess mainly, I guess mainly them, ninety-nine <laughs> percent um... them. <laughs> so yeah I mean literally nothing much has happened
0: I mean okay well that's a lie isn't it because I'm very close to submitting a manuscript you've submitted yours so actually I would argue that a lot has happened okay
1: a lot has happened Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah you are right and we are going to talk to you very soon about our own research shall we set a date Liv well, I kind of want mine to be at least
0: accepted.
1: Yeah. At we least, need them a pre-print. to be accepted.
0: Like, as soon as it's out as a preprint, then trust me, like I'll be so quick to do my episode. So
1: okay. So, amazing. yeah, we're just, yeah, we will be as quick as possible with the update on our research. Yeah. And we've both got our boards coming up where we're like our end of second year boards. Ah, we'll be third years. Like, See, how gosh, has this happened? Don't. don't. I remember what a year ago. The hell? We were how like, has this oh, happened? Officially, we're officially second years. We felt so grown up. And now we're third years. we're, we're like, third.
0: Because I feel like, especially in the UK now, like we're the old one. We're the oldest, you know? Yeah, th- I, still the oldest? Like
1: the, I still feel like a baby <laughs> because we haven't been in the lab.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I don't really even know any of the younger. No. Anyway, we're just rambling now, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, sorry,
1: we are rambling. <laughs> um, yeah, what I was going to say is when our boards come up, we'll be grilled on our research then by our um, university. So that'll give us good practice for grilling the other, won't it, in, yeah. our, in our own podcast. So true. So, yeah, I feel like enough enough rambling today's Mm -hmm. episode today's episode was actually filmed on a day where i woke up with the most horrific sore throat and horrible cold (laughs) so if i sound a bit miserable and bunged up it's because i was miserable and bunged up but it was actually a really interesting episode i really enjoyed listening back to it Mm. while i was editing it
0: so this week's episode was was with osren bodganovich yeah. I hope like I haven't made him cringe by the way I pronounced that. No. Um who is another one of our guests from the Garvin Institute in Australia.
1: Second guest after Katia.
0: Yep. So yeah, we're talking to his work um looking at non-CG methylation, um, mainly in zebrafish, which is really exciting
1: really interesting um, i always hear people talk about zebrafish being used as a model organism but i never actually see
0: do you i never well, hear any i never hear well, anyone talking no no I've, I've
1: heard of people saying that it's a good model organism but i've never actually looked at a study that has actually looked mm-hmm. at it you know mm-hmm.
0: well if any of the listeners feel the same today's your lucky day
1: it is so
0: Osren has you covered
1: enjoy today's episode.
0: Yeah I hope you guys enjoy it and don't forget to uh, check us out on Twitter so you can see a
1: picture of the mug. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should have got wine glasses instead of mugs. (laughs) Oh my god we should have.
0: Should we get wine glasses as well?
1: Yes Yes, I think we should. Let's definitely get wine glasses. We can drink from our mugs when we're recording the episodes and then we can drink from our wine glasses when we're celebrating releasing one.
0: (laughs) Goals absolutely. That is such a fabulous idea.
1: Such a good idea.
0: And we could get the t-shirts. No, right. Let's just shut up. Let's go to the episode. (laughs) This is way too long. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Genomics Lab. We've been gone for like, it's going to be like two weeks that we've been gone for since we've been, um, since our last episode. Me and Ellie have been a little bit busy. Um, both been doing a little bit of
1: manuscript writing, haven't we? We have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also but, it's a um, holiday weekend, of very sunny here. so.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was very sunny, so we had to take advantage of it. Um, but today's episode is really exciting. We are speaking to um, Osren Bogdanovich from the Garvin Institute in Australia. We're going to be talking about non cpg methylation. So we've done a couple of episodes before about... Um, DNA methylation and we always talk about uh, methylation in the CG context so um, yeah we're just having something talking about something a little bit different today so welcome Osren and thank you for joining us. Hi
2: um, yeah thanks very much for the invite it's uh, great to be here.
0: Yeah absolutely no worries I was saying to Osren like when we first met like um, you and Maxim have like been two people that I've said this before to Ellie as well that I've sort of like played your guys research like since I started my PhD so it's really nice to like have you on and Talk to you because now I've had Maxim and you, so it's really really cool. Um, but do you want to start just like um, introducing yourselves and uh, telling us a little bit about like um, where you're based and like what your research is and everything like
2: that? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm currently based at the Garvin Institute in Sydney, mm-hmm. and at the School of um, uh, Biotechnology, Biomolecular Sciences at UNSW at BABS. Um, so it's kind of a joint appointment between um, the institute and and the university. And at the Garden I run the developmental epigenomics lab. And we're basically inst- interested in how um, epigenetic mod- modifications um, influence, drive, contribute to uh, embryonic development.
1: What were you doing before you moved to where you are currently?
2: OK, yeah, so um, a bit of a background, I guess. So I, I did my uh, undergrad in Zagreb in Croatia. Okay. So I, I started, I studied uh, yeah, molecular biology and then d- during that period actually uh, moved for um, um, a year or so to uh, Basel as an exchange student to the FMI. Yeah. And that was actually pretty, um, pretty interesting. Well, it was a big shock for me to see how science was done, um, you know, at, at, at a top place. And that, that kind of motivated me to uh, go on and do a PhD um in the Netherlands. So I I did my PhD at the Radboud University in the Netherlands in um, studying, again, epigenetics and embryonic development. And uh, this was then followed by a postdoc in Spain in Seville. um, So at the um, Andalusian Institute for Developmental Biology. And then I moved to Australia, actually not to Sydney, but first to uh, Perth, um, to do another postdoc. And after that, uh, brief postdoc, um, I, I started my lab at, at the Garvin Institute in Sydney. So, um, yeah, geographically, uh, quite interesting, but yeah, topic wise, uh, pretty boring. It was all, DNA methylation, epigenetics, okay. uh, embryonic development.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you've been, like, so many <laughs> different places. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Whereabouts did you grow
2: up? Where did I grow up? So that's that's a good one. Um, so I, I was born in uh, Croatia. Well, that was, like, okay. Yugoslavia uh, back then. Yeah. Uh, but when I was uh, two years old, I actually moved to the Netherlands uh, with, with my parents. So I... Um, yeah I, I did a bit of elementary school in the Netherlands and then um after what was it like um, six seven years moved back to croatia
1: right so that kind and, of explains why you moved around a little bit
2: yeah yeah so yes, for I, I, I was,
1: your for your academic sort of life you kind of used to used to move in yeah. that's really yeah, cool yeah. i'm so jealous i'm so <laughs> jealous I wish i'd moved around more.
2: Well, like, don't, don't be, don't be. I, I I think I actually moved too much. You, you know what they say that um, actually the all all these big moves and divorces are like pretty similar, and you know how they contribute to a heart attack. Yeah, well, <laughs>
1: yeah, true. But me and you are still we sat with sat in the in the town that we were born in. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I mean, I'm sorry. like one town across in my defense. Oh, oh, sorry, one town across. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay well i mean there, there'll be opportunities yeah now when yeah. the i guess when the covid is gone yeah
1: we need to take them live we need to take them
2: yeah,
0: yeah. will we though i don't know if we will i feel like we have this conversation on like every episode we as well because we always we had... listen to everyone talking about like where they've been and we feel bad that we haven't done
1: it i should know this we've had someone else from the Garvan institute haven't we
2: yeah, we you have. Did. Yeah,
1: Katia. Yes.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, do you know what I
0: was thinking that, and I was like, I don't want to say it in case I'm wrong, so I didn't say it. But yeah, now you've
1: said it, it's confirmed. Yeah.
2: yeah. It is, it is yes. So so we're definitely uh I, I'd say overrepresented.
1: Oh, I wouldn't say so.
2: <laughs> but but that's okay. There's a lot of there's a lot. Maybe
0: for good reason, stuff, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah.
0: Maybe we need to come and
1: visit. <laughs>
2: Anytime, anytime. (laughs) Well, I mean, whenever the Australian borders reopen again. So hopefully uh, next year. Yeah, June next year, I think. Yeah, fingers crossed. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) So um,
0: you mentioned that you have sort of like been in the same field for a while, so epigenetics and DNA methylation. So what sort of got you interested first off in DNA methylation and epigenetics?
2: Yeah, yes. So so, again, it is... um, um, really boring so I, I i did my well back during my undergrad st- studies um so that was actually before the, like the bachelor's and the master's it was called like the graduate uh, engineer in biology you know that would be like the literal translation so we had to do a thesis that was uh, probably like six months to a year and i did that in a lab that was studying uh laryngeal squamous cell carcinomas and loss of uh, heterozygosity, loss of imprinting. And that was actually the part that I uh, found really interesting that all uh, loss of imprinting, you know, imprinted genes uh, that are kind of like um, established by uh, differential DNA methylation. So I was kind of looking then to, you know, move to Europe. Well, rest of the Europe and, um, do something more substantial in that area and that's how i ended up in, in switzerland um, but then what what really got me interested there was so there was kind of like uh early early 2000 2003 something like that and there was the whole boom in genomics well genomics was just starting it was still microarrays but i, I found it fascinating that you know you could explore like all these patterns on the genome wide level see how they correlate with development with disease and that was uh, basically the reason why I went on to um, the Netherlands I I wanted to apply that knowledge but studying uh, embryonic development
1: that's really
0: cool what about your PhD like your PhD research was that in a similar field
1: as well
2: yeah so the i i did my phd on, on on the topic of um dna methylation and methyl cpg binding proteins in right. um canopus levis so it's a bit of a weird model organism you know like people usually study cells or uh mice or you know uh, yeast back then was also popular but but like frogs were not you know that great but it, it they they do um offer a lot of uh, advantages. So it was a a very fun PhD. I I, I learned tons of uh, techniques like in all all this, like in vivo manipulation of eggs, um, embryos, you know, injections and and so on, which actually came useful uh, for my postdoc. And since my postdoc till now, I've been mostly working in uh, zebrafish. So zebrafish is somewhat better. i guess in terms of the uh, resources then um Cynopus, um b- but a lot of techniques are essentially the same
1: i feel like it's quite a nice little cross between a little bit of what Livy does with her methylation a little bit what i do with kind of like the the developmental stuff so you're probably one of our ideal podcast guests <laughs>
2: well, that, 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 that's awesome so yeah actually i i saw somewhere that you had like those uh, three minute thesis presentations mm-hmm. and i was like I I have to listen to those, but then I couldn't I couldn't find them anymore.
1: Oh, it was then? like, it was oh. like we'll send you. Yeah, so it was
2: like hidden in one of the podcasts.
0: Did we yeah. link them, Ellie? I don't know if we actually ended up linking
1: them.
2: I because I I think I saw them in one of the podcasts. I was like, okay, I have to listen. We did to this link and them. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah.
1: I linked one of it. it I linked mm. them. I'm sure, but I don't know. I then cancelled my Vimeo subscription because I think I did as well. I so I don't know. Pay all that money a year. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but it is. I, I mean, I, I agree. It is a. It's it, it's it's a great mixture. I, I think epigenetics and, um, and and development, and yeah. I think now with the advent of um, CRISPR and genome engineering, it's um, yeah, um, mm-hmm. o- opens up a lot of possibilities.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well hopefully like very soon me and Ellie will do an episode like with us because we've both sort of just like write up our first manuscripts so hopefully soon Hopefully, we'll be questioning each other <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so um yeah. can you tell us then like a little bit about um your research now and sort of some of like the main questions and like the main aims of your lab um currently
2: sure yes so so we're like pretty diverse in in what what we do um so i I guess at this moment there's like three major lines of research uh so one is um zebrafish and and in general like um epigenetics in particular dna methylation canonical and both non-canonical how they contribute to um embryogenesis um the other one would be um how A very specific um group of genes namely cancer testis antigens how they uh, are silenced during embryogenesis and reactivated in, in cancers and i guess the third line of research would be um if you could really call it like that it's more like like a hobby but yeah we dabble a bit in um evolutionary genomics we're currently busy with um Trying to um, sequence and annotate the the blue bottle genome. I, I don't know if you're oh, familiar. with The fly, the blue, the crazy animal. No, no, the other one, the um, the uh, Portuguese man o' war. You know, it's like a oh, jellyfish. The, the uh, huge
1: you, jellyfish.
2: It's it's not huge, but it's uh it's painful or so I hear. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess
1: it's not huge compared to what you have in Australia. For us in the UK, <laughs> it's pretty huge. <laughs>
2: Exactly, and I, well, I think like the European ones, they they might be actually a bit bigger than the uh, than the Australian ones. So yeah, I, I think those would be the three major um, lines of research, um, and I've, we are interested in you know m- many different things, but but this is just what we're trying to focus on. You know, you you don't want to spread yourself too thin these um, no. days. You know, with uh, with funding restrictions and so on, yeah
0: it can be hard to like balance like all of the stuff that you want to research, especially like when you like I can imagine like when you start out a lab and you start to sort of get students and postdocs like trying to answer all of the questions that you want to answer, but also keep it quite niche and keep it quite yeah. focused must be quite hard
2: yeah so, so for me that's very difficult and and, and also in um, terms of collaborating with other people. Um, we, as a lab, like to collaborate, um, help people out with their, you know, genomics, um, epigenomics problems. Um, So in in the beginning, I guess I would say uh, yes, 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 yes to um, everyone. I I have to admit now I'm uh, (laughs) a bit more selective, still trying to wrap up things that we started uh, a few years ago. But but I think for a young PI, it is... uh, definitely one of the major issues, you know, you, you need to strike that balance uh, between being open towards uh, new technologies and risky projects, but then again, being conservative, you know, knowing that you should just continue doing what you're really good at, because that will kind of uh, get you a publication r- relatively um, quickly. Um, but it, it, it takes a bit of time to um, find that uh, balance. Yeah, but I, I think we did. We, we we achieved that. Now we have like these few research lines that are developing uh, pretty well. Um, hopefully, for now.
0: A minute ago, you mentioned um, canonical and non-canonical DNA methylation. I feel like we might have mentioned it before on the podcast. As in, like it's we've said those words, but we've never really explained Let's what explain. they mean. Yeah. So. Yeah, if any, if you could just sort of run through like what does what that actually,
1: what
2: do those terms actually mean? Just a brief explanation. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> so so, so I, I think in um, probably not not an ideal um, word, canonical and, and non canonical, because like we always think about like at least we about vertebrates. So in, in terms of vertebrates, m- most of the methylation marks they happen in the CG dinucleotide context, um, but not in, you know, other uh, contexts like um, in CA or CT or whatever. Even though in plants, uh, this type of methylation is fairly common. So I I, I guess it's better to call it um, CG and non-CG methylation. It's it's more, you know, fair, I guess. Uh, towards uh, other fields. Um, but yeah, that, that's something that we um, have been studying lately. So I I did start one project on um, non-CPG methylation uh, during my postdoc in, in Perth and in Ryan Lister's lab. And at that time <clears throat> I said, there's no way I'll ever be working on uh, non-CPG methylation anymore. <laughs> because you know, you know what, what what's the thing so it is uh, it is like unlike cg methylation that's present at very high levels um in vertebrates non cg is present at very low levels so you're always questioning if what you're seeing is an artifact
1: yeah and, and, and it must actually be people hard to study
2: yeah yeah and people often use uh, you, you know like uh, non cg methylation as a um, control in their bisulfite sequencing experiments. You know, if, if you forget to spike in uh, the lambda phage that we normally use as a negative control, you can just look at non-CG methylation and that will give you an idea of how well your experiment works. So you shouldn't be seeing that many, um, you know, methyl marks in the non-CG context. Yeah. So it is, it's It's a kind of a, yeah, it's a kind of a dodgy, <laughs> dodgy field. But 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 anyhow, um so at that point I said, Okay, I'll never work on it anymore. Yeah. But then by pure coincidence we actually discovered something uh pretty interesting. Um it was like a year, a year and a half ago, and um it, it was uh essentially a reprogramming event. Well some people don't like that word reprogramming. We we can call it um, remodeling, but yeah. uh, basically Presence, erasure, and then presence again of this um, very peculiar non cg signature during zebrafish uh, development okay
1: yes
2: yeah, so, that, so that was,
1: yeah. no sorry, I was going to say you've obviously found I might be jumping ahead you found it in zebrafish development, is that something that you expect to see in other organisms as well
2: yes, so we we don't know yet exactly I mean uh, just to clarify, so what we found in the zebrafish was um. Non CG methylation at a very specific repeat type. So it's a, a mosaic satellite repeat. They're called a MOSAT. And they're highly methylated just after fertilization. Mm-hmm. And then, like during early uh, embryonic stages, um, this mark gets diluted. So, you know, upon zygotic genome activation, so when, um, well, or like, um, how do you call it? Um, what would be like for people who are not uh, familiar with the term, like the embryonic genome awakening. So when the genome starts expressing its own genes, doesn't depend anymore on the maternal genes. At that point, we found that um, this non-CG methylation type was actually very low. Okay. And then it goes up again after the zygotic genome activation. So very, very interesting. And it could be that in... Um, Mammals, uh, for example, something similar would be happening, but definitely not at exactly the same sequences because they're only present in zebrafish. That's really cool. Does it
0: sort of like follow the same trend? So, like we we spoke to Maxim, obviously, and like he was telling us a lot about epigenetic reprogramming and stuff. And obviously, we were talking about that in the context of like CG methylation. Does it follow like the same sort of trend?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that we well, see
0: with. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, like zebrafish and mammals are uh, the development is very different in terms of timing. Uh, but I, I guess if you would be looking at um, major um, embryonic events like z- zygotic genome activation, so yes, it, it would be kind of similar. You would have a low quantity of that mark during um, zygotic genome activation, with some some of it starting to show up um, afterwards. And that is pretty interesting because uh, canonical or uh, CG methylation that you discussed with uh, Max, uh, so that methylation, we know it's not remodeled in zebrafish. So there's no such thing as a global uh, erasure and then reestablishment of MCG. So so we were really surprised to find something that, that is kind of similar to the mammalian. Embryonic uh, epigenome remodeling, but in a very different sequence context. Yeah, and I, I, I guess the best part of that is that we just found it by looking at um, publicly available uh, data, some of uh, you know, some of which we published years ago, and we completely missed it. So I, I always tell my uh, students, you know, it's so important to look at the genome browser. You, know, you can you can see things that you just like uh, never expected to see. And, and that you will probably miss on, you know, um, classical representations like heat maps and scatter plots, because the the amount of these um, mch molecules it's it's really really tiny compared to the the bulk genome.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, do you guys ever like think? I always think like, has there maybe in my data somewhere there's something really really interesting and like I've missed it? And do you ever just sit there and just get like? irrationally like annoyed because you just wonder if there's something in there that you're just completely missing <laughs> something else to find. i always think that i literally always think that like am i missing something
2: yeah yes yeah. so, so i mean it, it, it does happen um but it, as you can see you can rediscover it uh, years um after you published your original findings yeah so um most of that um non-cg methylation remodeling that we found uh, what was based on the study that we published in 2016. So like five years ago, where we only focused on CG methylation, completely ignoring uh, non-CG. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, so even if you miss it, you know, the, the, the first time, um, maybe one day when the conditions are right, like for example, during the lockdown and you, you, you have to work from home um, not show up in the lab you, you, can, you can find time to reanalyze some of your old data
1: mm-hmm. yeah definitely um, yeah.
0: can I just ask so you just mentioned like about looking at genome like you said about looking at genome, genome browsers
2: yeah.
0: what exactly do you mean by that like how, how did you like use the genome browser to, to figure this out I don't know if that's <laughs> a really stupid question but we've like, had, I, we've I can't had make that link
1: about genome browsers and how to use them before haven't we lived yeah yeah, yeah. We, we I think I've really- like finally grasped them, well,
0: I thought I grasped them, and you yeah. just said that, and then I was like, maybe I haven't grasped them
2: <laughs> yeah yes yeah. so so look i mean there's definitely like no trick to it, but I, I guess what I was trying to say if you just decide to look at uh all the um non c g methylation marks in you know some sort of a a clustered heat map or a scatter plot like you you won't pick up among those, you know, many, many millions and millions of regions, maybe some 20, 50 or 100,000 that that might actually be interesting. So and what I mean by looking at the genome browser, like it's literally like if you turn the genome browser on and you look at the non-CG methylation track. So non-CG methylation is really low. Mm -hmm. But But what we saw was basically these bumps they were highly concentrated. And we just zoomed into that. Um, they, 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 they were repeats, they were highly methylated. And when I showed this, you know, first to my uh, colleagues and uh, previous supervisors and so on, they were oh, yeah, that's, that, it's an artifact. And it might've, it, it might've might well been, you know, uh, because in many cases you actually see something and um, it, it looks interesting, but if you explore it a bit better, it, it is an artifact indeed. Uh, but luckily this one wasn't, so we managed to um, validate it by a technique that does not depend on uh, bisulfite sequencing, which is what we normally use. We use a whole genome bisulfite sequencing that essentially gives us base resolution, so we can see literally every CPG in the genome and measure its uh, methylation state. So we validated this by an enzymatic method that is not so harsh as uh, treatment by sodium bisulfite, and we, we essentially saw the same pattern. And then later during the revisions, um, we we found <clears> the <throat> metal transferase that was responsible for that for depositing that mark. Um, so when we um, crisped it out, uh, the, the mark was gone also. But, but yeah, I, um, back to the genome browser, I, I definitely encourage you, no matter how many heat maps, plots you make, look at your data, and, I mean, you you might find um, unexpected things. You know, my uh, late uh, supervisor from uh, Spain, uh, Jose Luis uh, Gomez-Carmeta, he would spend hours just browsing the genome. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, He was just sitting, going through those tracks, and... He would be like, "Oh, look! This is something really interesting. Come here, come here, have a look." And often um, it, it, it resulted in uh, pretty important lab discoveries. Oh,
0: wow. That's really interesting. I've like I've never thought to to do that. Like it makes sense now you said yeah. it, but I've never thought like I've never heard of anyone say that before. So that's really interesting. Yeah. So, like, what was interesting? Then, what, what was the interesting thing that you saw? Like, I was
1: going to you... say, what was the effect of what you found?
2: Um, oh, the, the the effect. What, what, what uh, you mean? What it does? How it contributes uh, yeah, to the like... um, overall process of embryogenesis? Yeah. And so, yeah.
0: and also, like, you mentioned about finding them at specific repeats. Did you like sort of figure that out using the genome browser?
2: Yes. So, so uh, again, that was also, um, luckily, these repeats were um, annotated pretty well. So, yeah, we could see it immediately in the mm-hmm. in the genome browser, so that was easy. Uh, but in, in terms of the function, um, so we haven't assessed that yet. So that's something that we're currently working on. Uh, but we have a pretty good idea of um, what these regions might be doing. And that, that's, again, something that we just, uh, figured out later so we looked at the repeat sequence and we realized that it's pretty much identical to the uh, oct4 sequence which is a major developmental transcription factor that um, is heavily implicated in zygotic genome activation so <clears throat> now we think that the the working hypothesis is at least that when you have a lot of that um, peculiar mch at those repeats it essentially recruits that factor it it serves as a sponge or a sink as mch is being diluted this factor is being released into the nucleus to find its own um, well it's it's proper i guess zygotic genome activation targets and then once it's not needed anymore it gets picked up by mch that's again accumulating on those repeats so so I think it's it's a pretty uh fascinating uh mechanism. I, I hope that we will be able to show that it's uh really working like that. But 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 that's that's work in progress. Yeah.
1: That is exciting. It's really it's promising. It is really cool.
0: Yeah, maybe yeah. we should like quickly mention sorry, yeah, maybe we should just quickly mention like what is the function of um C H methylation. Like are there so like what are the similarities between uh, the function of CH methylation and CG and do we see any differences between the function of those or
2: not yes so that's a, a great question and, and then again if, if you go back to your plants in, in plants it's um, MCH uh, so non-CPG methylation it's pretty well characterized associated with uh, silencing but if you look at um, mammalian cells and tissues it actually depends where you're looking so in human embryonic stem cells, non-CPG methylation uh, correlates with transcription. So, you know, the, the more active the gene is, the more um, non-CG you will have uh, deposited over the gene body. Whereas in, in the brain, for example, non-CG methylation is uh, associated with repression. And, and not only that, in, in, in the brain that seems to be bound by the one of the um, major metal CPG binding proteins, MECP2, which when mutated causes uh, red syndrome. And like I, I think over the last few years, there's been a lot of evidence actually showing that this non-canonical methylation patterning might be really important for, you know, the establishment of a proper brain function. And uh, when it's not correctly interpreted, like in in case of MECP2 loss might result in um, severe neurodevelopmental phenotypes.
0: And as far as I'm aware, like CH methylation is quite abundant in the brain. Is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So it is quite, so it's not as abundant as um, CG, well, in terms of levels. So if you just like count all the sites where you can find it, it it is actually the predominant form of methylation in the brain but in in terms of uh methylation levels at a specific location it's it's not that that abundant so i guess the overall levels in in the brain would be uh just two to three percent but if you would actually count all the mch sites there's more of them than mcg sites so which is really interesting so, so, but yeah, I, I would say it is, so far it has been associated with um, active genes, with repression, um, but what we will hopefully propose um, sometimes in the future, if all the experiments um, work out, that it might serve as a sink for a uh, transcription factor, which w- would be like, a, I, I guess, a completely novel function of um, MCH. Yeah, that
0: would be really, like, really, really cool. Like, I, I know there'll be so many people who'll be excited about
1: that. If, so what are the the kind of the next steps in order to ascertain that
2: yeah so 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 the next steps would be um obviously yeah we generated some um knockouts but mm-hmm. um the, the thing is and that's always the problem when um working with zebrafish and early embryogenesis there's often a very strong uh, maternal contribution okay so a lot of um RNA, a lot of proteins, they get inherited from the egg. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we need to uh, take care of. So if we really want to study its function during the ZGA, what we need to do is um, either generate a stable knockout that will hopefully be viable, or use um, other depletion techniques. Um, So for example, like uh, uh, Cas13D, which would allow us to remove all the message that was uh, maternally inherited. Okay. So I think so. So those are the next steps. So we we have actually done those experiments. We've got some um, data back from uh, sequencing recently, and I I think it looks uh, mm-hmm. it is preliminary, but it, mm-hmm. but it looks pretty good. So, so okay. I think that that will be like one of the uh, follow-ups, and and definitely doing more biochemistry in terms of. Um, Interaction between that um, satellite repeat in its methylated and unmethylated form, and Oct4 and other transcription factors: how they really interact, and how DNA methylation, in that uh, peculiar context, uh, inhibits or promotes binding.
1: Yeah. So, just a quick
0: question about something you just you just mentioned about like the issues of a lot of maternal influence. Can you just mm-hmm. touch on like what? What exactly is the problem with that? Like, why is that a problem?
2: Well, I mean, it is, um, it, it's, it's not a problem if you're um, careful about it. Um, but, but the thing is, anything that you're studying before the onset of zygotic genome activation has been contributed by mom, right? Mm-hmm. And at the very onset of a ZGA, when the um, embryo starts transcribing its own genome, essentially, you, you will have a mixture of uh, maternal and zygotic transcripts. So if you, let's say, just employ uh, CRISPR-Cas9, you know, you're just doing a transient experiment, so looking at um, that very uh, generation of embryos that you're targeting, so you're looking at F0, if you inject those embryos with Cas9, you will only be targeting the zygotic transcript. So all that uh, maternal mRNA, Will be still floating around and confounding your results so so essentially you, you need to find a way to get 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 rid of that so so that's what I'm saying so you either generate a, a stable knockout which um, in zebrafish takes quite a bit of time. People think that it's a rapid model organism, but like the generation time is actually slower than uh, in mice. So it takes a long time to generate a, a, a full uh, zebrafish knockout. But, but that's why other techniques like um, Cas13D um, depletion of um, RNA can be very useful for this. Hopefully that answers it.
1: Yeah, no, it does. Sorry, I'm just digesting all that information. That's Yeah, so I,
0: I'm just been, like, as you are talking, I was just thinking about um, what, so a couple of questions. The first one is what role do um enzymes like DNA methyl transferases play like what's the interplay between those and ch methylation do they like is dnmt1 involved is dnmt3a3b involved like which ones are involved
2: yes yeah, so, so that's um yeah that's that's an excellent question um like, like yeah to understand that I, I guess it's important to mention that uh cpg methylation happens uh, on both strands so you have the CG dinucleotide and it's methylated on both C's, on the, both the Watson and the Crick strand. But unlike that, um, MCH usually happens only on one strand. So I
0: didn't
2: know
0: that. Yeah, I didn't know uh, that. I don't know how I didn't
2: know that. But. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, asymmetrical. So it, it is, is not maintained. It cannot be maintained by uh, DNMT1. So it is, um, well, in mammals, it it has been shown that it's maintained by uh, DNMT3A and DNMT3B. But what we found in zebrafish, we we found um, that this MOSAT MCH that I I, I talked about is maintained by a very specific metal transferase. um, It's called DNMT3BA, which is common to all uh, teleosts, so common to all fish. And the really weird thing about it, really, really weird thing that we, we, we don't know what it does. It, it has like this domain, which is called, uh, what was it? CH domain, uh, calponin homology domain, which is normally found in actin binding proteins. So we have no idea what it does in a DNMT, um, DNMT like, you know, enzyme. And to our knowledge, that's the only uh, DNMT in animals that that has that um, particular insertion. So, so whether, whether that plays any role in you know the specificity of that enzyme, you know, towards MCH, we don't know yet. We're hoping to figure that out, obviously, by taking that domain out and messing around with it. Uh, but that's yeah probably another follow up that I, I forgot to mention. Yeah. Does
1: that enzyme have any other role? Like, is is it uh, do you yeah. have any any kind of classic roles
2: yeah, that you would yeah, normally yeah.
1: expect it to play, and this is kind of a novel function of it?
2: Yeah, exactly. So, so we think that's exactly what's happening because it is uh, conserved among fishes. So we see dnmt um, three BA present in all the fishes, but not all the fishes have uh, this MCH. And that is actually something that's really weird. So far, we, we were only able to uh, detect this type of uh, repeat in zebrafish. So likely other fishes that have the enzyme, DNMT3BA, um, maybe it does something with um, MCH at you know some point of the life cycle uh, but it's likely that it uh, just plays a role in uh, canonical uh, or CG methylation um, deposition, and or maybe maintenance, yeah. So it likely has uh, uh, yeah, a dual role, which in zebrafish is really prominent.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. So how long ago did you find this kind of new role for it? That was the, the last year and a half, you said?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, that was actually, um, yeah, last, uh, last year. Okay. So, um, yeah, it, it was a very, um, quick and successful project. Um, they're not usually like that. Um, but, um, I, 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 but I, I I was lucky. I had a, a very talented PhD student, uh, Sam from my lab working on that. And, uh, he did a great job to figure it all out from you know the beginning to the end. Um, but I do have to mention, so that is definitely an advantage in, in zebrafish that you can um, do these F0 um, CRISPR knockouts that are not full knockouts, but still allow you to get a really good idea on uh, function of a particular gene. So that did help. But now we're going for the stable, obviously. Next time.
0: So this enzyme DNMT3B, I'm probably a little bit naive to this because I only really look at CG methylation in human data. Um, so, so I probably, don't look at it at all. <laughs> so like, so DNMT3A, 3A, B? Did you say?
2: Um, no. So, so what, what what we have, yeah. So the one that we found is called BA. So it's, BA. it's really. It's really bizarre. You, you you won't find it in mammals. I was so about
0: mam- to say, like, is it only found in fish?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's something that's really specific to fish. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but we are not 100% sure uh, whether the <clears throat> canonical DNMT3A and DNMT3B might also be... Um, you know, targeting repeats in a similar way during early immunogenesis, you you know, for that particular function of um, transcription factor sync. I think that's something that hasn't been um, really tested yet. Mm -hmm. And in Zebrafish, we found a great example, uh, but it it would actually be useful to go back to um, human and mouse data, which is available and reanalyze that and look into um yeah look into more detail uh browse the genome see if we can uh spot something exciting you know you find something in zebrafish <laughs> and you you want to go back to uh, mammals you know to humans you yeah. might see if it's conserved, because obviously when you um submit a paper that's zebrafish only it 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 often kind of can, can be perceived as lacking uh, real relevance because it's not conserved to uh, mammals. Okay, or at please. least the reviewers uh, don't um, think it is or it's not really closely related. Um, <clears throat> so, so I, I guess in, in the model organism field, we always try to validate whatever we find by you know something similar in um, mouse or human. Yeah. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully I, I will find time to do that.
1: Uh, <laughs> That's difficult, though, when you've got interesting findings that you know coming out of the zebrafish, you know, attempting yeah. to carry on working exactly. on that rather than having to kind of traipse through mouse and human. Yeah,
2: exactly. But but I mean, it, it's also, um, like, t- to be completely honest, it, it is not as easy as browsing these, yeah. you know, b- because... So as, as I mentioned, non-CPG methylation is often um, well thought of as an artifact. Mm-hmm. And it often is. It is an artifact of non-conversion. Yeah. So to be really uh, able to find the um, sites that are not, um, I guess, artifactual, that are really enriched at MCH, and that are not there due to um, a difference in the genotype. So, so that's, that, that's another massive issue. So you have... Um, your fish has one genotype, your sequence has another genotype, the, the reference genome sequence. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure to correct for those differences, which requires taking all those data, and that's like terabytes and terabytes of data, Yeah. Uh, remapping it, reanalyzing it in the right way that's uh, kind of compatible with what, what we did in zebrafish and, and then trying to um, you know draw those uh, parallels so it, it is it is you know a, a lot of work if you want it done properly.
0: I always find like the side projects or like the projects that you perhaps shouldn't spend so much time on they always get nice. really exciting when you really need to be focusing on like one main thing like for us probably it's a little bit easier to explain like in our PhDs like obviously we have our main project and then like we have side projects, and I always find the side projects always get really, really exciting. When your supervisor is like, "Come on, get on with your main project," and you yeah. have and strict like, "Oh yourself. yeah, you have to be so strict with yourself." But sometimes it's so hard because you just know that you're like so close to just figuring out that one thing that you want to figure out, and then before you know it, you spent like four days, and your supervisor's like, "Come on,
2: <laughs> what yeah. are you
0: doing?"
2: <laughs> yeah, no, like I, I, I totally agree. And look, my my PhD was like that. Um, uh, <clears throat> like what what we tried during my PhD was uh, to establish uh, a senopus levis as a model system for mecp2 loss uh, so in injecting mecp2 antisense uh, you know um, <clears throat> oligos and looking at phenotypes looking at the effects on transcription but there, there was like so mu- much uh, variability so but that was my main project that I was like trying to push uh, you know through years uh, but then in the end um the whole uh, next generation sequencing massively parallel sequencing revolution came about and uh, i was like well why not like generate methylomaps um of uh, the developing frog embryo um see how it looks if it's uh, Similar to mammals or not, even even though we had a pretty good indication that it wasn't, so that actually turned into my main um, PhD publication, okay. and, and and also this whole thing with non-CPG, I, I swore like five times I'll never work on that again, and it just keeps on, uh, you know, popping up.
1: Keeps on happening.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. keeps keep, Keeps on happening. Yeah, yeah. And I'm always like, okay, I'm, I'm I'm so done with like non-CPG. So happening. done with it. Yeah, yeah. Oh
1: no, here we
2: go again. <laughs> Exactly. So I, I abandoned one project during my postdoc, but I, I was, uh, I, I was very lucky that, um, another highly skilled, uh, postdoc, well, Alex, uh, he, he's a PI now, uh, runs his, um, lab at, um, Queen Mary. So yeah, he's, uh, Queen okay. Mary, yeah 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 so you 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 probably know him so he took that project over and 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 brought it to completion which was really great to see it happening
0: i have like just one last question that i wanted to ask earlier which is like um so we spoke about like the dna methyl transferases um what role if any do uh tet enzymes play and like how does um ch methylation fit in with like dna demethylation pathways
2: Okay. Yeah. So that's a a, a very good question. Uh, I I think there's um, a lot of debate um, in that field. Again, it will be highly um, context uh, dependent. We personally haven't ever found anything like uh, that in zebrafish, at least this. uh, MOSAT um MCH seems to be just um, re- removed by dilution so passively. Um I haven't seen any site um of HMC of hydroxymethylation there. But there are some uh, studies in mammals. Uh, I think there was a recent preprint um that 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 shown something uh, like that uh, you actually can have um TET mediated demethylation happening at um, Ch sites, so it, it it likely does happen, but I, I would say it's not the predominant mechanism of MCh removal. So it's, is that likely um,
0: because DNMT1 isn't as involved, or it's not involved at all? Is, is that perhaps likely why? Because you don't have DNMT1 sort of maintaining it.
2: So yeah, yeah, exactly. So if if you don't have any maintenance, uh, essentially the only thing that you need is uh, exclusion of DNMT3 for the mark uh not to happen but but you know one could envision that there might be um certain states in in the cell where you would need mch removed quickly and perhaps then tet proteins could help um but it is likely happening on a very very um small percentage of sites but i i i I do do believe it is possible but definitely not the predominant mechanism yeah
0: interesting i I mean it makes sense yeah if you haven't got the NMT one Doesn't need to be as abundant. Okay, it's
2: interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. So that was sort of my my last question. I. I think I could carry on, but I should probably stop. Um. So yeah. Um. What are sort of the future plans for your lab? I mean, I know we've discussed like some of them. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah. So what are your sort of like immediate future plans? What are some avenues that you want to like take and pursue?
2: So yeah, the one of the. Um, things that we really want to do is um, publish that uh, genome of that weird animal that I mentioned, uh, Blue Bottle. So hopefully um, at at some point we will uh, be able to um, kind of uh, wrap that story up. And yeah, mostly uh, the the functional aspects of uh, non-CPG methylation targeting, Maintenance and, and function. So that is all happening at the moment. Um, a bit more of <clears throat> zebrafish epigenomics, um, early zebrafish epigenomics, and I, I would say a lot of uh, a lot of grant writing. That that, that that's how my uh, future will look like. <laughs> a lot of that. But yeah, I guess those would be the um, m- most you know immediate plans in any case it's like so 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 difficult you know that, that's that's another thing without um proper funding support you know you can think of so many things but ultimately like in, in most of the cases you will be limited by the amount of researchers that you yeah. have people you can hire and the experiments that you can um, carry out in the lab so i i think um yeah over the last five years i became much more realistic of um what I can do and should be doing you know over the course of the next I guess six months
1: so yeah I guess we kind of always finish up as well but if anyone like Liv still has some burning questions how could they contact you and we will link your contact details um and we will also link your recent publications so if you'd just like to kind of let us know like Twitter, email, kind of what you prefer.
2: Yeah, it all works. Um, so Twitter is great. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter, um, but also email, um, institutional or Gmail, I, I read both. Um, so yeah, and, and any of those uh, two options uh, w- would work. Yeah, And, and definitely yeah, wh- whoever wants to contact me, uh, please do get in touch. I'm, I'm happy to chat more about anything that we discussed today.
0: Amazing. Well, yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, I think your research is really, really cool, and and, um, I'm excited to see, like, you know, what you find because I think there's like some really good potential for your research. I I think so.
1: We say this to a lot of people that have exciting things coming up, but we'll have to ask you back.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. Well, I mean, uh, thanks so much for the invite. This was, uh, yeah, it, it was real fun and. I'm also hoping to see uh, those um, exciting manuscripts of yours uh, published soon.
1: Well, just keep having Hopefully, fingers crossed. Fingers
2: crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, well,
1: thank you so much for giving up your time today. Yeah. Thank,
2: thank you. you. Thank
1: Appreciate you. it.
2: Thanks, <laughs> see you. Bye. Bye.
1: Thank you for joining us for this episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Genomics Lab. That's got a capital G and a capital L. You can actually also find both of us on Instagram at a Genomics PhD and at phd underscore ellie. Finally, be sure to subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform and we will see you all in the next episode. Thank you again for listening.